Welcome. We hope you enjoy this recording from Christ City Church, based in Dublin, Ireland. For more podcasts and information on the church, please visit ChristCityChurch.ie. Thank you for listening. First Peter 4, verses 7 through 11. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. And now I'll pray for Steve in the lesson. Heavenly Father, I lift up to you right now the lesson that we're about to hear today. I pray for Steve, and I thank you for all the hard work he did in preparing for today's lesson Be with him, Lord, and speak through him as he teaches us today. I pray for all of us that are hearing your word preached today, that we learn more about you, that we are challenged and encouraged today, and that we leave feeling stronger and more equipped to be your shining lights in a dark world. And it's in Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. Wonderful. Now, show of hands, how many of you have seen the film Encanto? Not as many as I thought. Okay, well, I'll have to be careful not to give a spoiler. Um, It's about an intergenerational family called the Madrigals, whose members have each been given a miraculous gift, which makes them and the family special. They have uncanny strength or the ability to heal people with food and, and various things, except for one girl in the family, Mirabel, who is kind and thoughtful, but the problem is she offers nothing to the family because she has no gift. She's a failure. And like other failures in the family, they don't speak about Bruno. He's the other black sheep. She's left out. So on the surface, when you and the, the Disney picture puts it beautifully, it seems like this magnificent family on the surface. But there's cracks in the community. And there's cracks in the buildings. There's no grace in this family because you belong as you prove your worth with your gift, and you're shunned if you don't fit in. The problem is the cracks in the community, but in the buildings, are getting bigger, and the family is about to implode, and the fate of the family lies in the ungifted, unlikely Mirabel. Now, I won't say any more for those of you that haven't seen it, but in, interestingly, and commentators you know, have, have been commentating on this, how strikingly different it is, compared to the previous Disney blockbuster, Frozen. Similar themes, though. You have a fearful, and in that case, a caged sister, Elsa, who has extraordinary gifts in her hands that she can't control. So like all self-respecting people, she wears gloves all the time, and you'll know that's a big thing of mine. Uh, She abandons her family, though, to find herself. And she let it go and all the rest. She leaves the community to find herself. She flees the community to do it her way. Quite the opposite, Mirabel, facing hostility from all sides from her family, goes deeper into her family brokenness to bring healing 
through her courage and her grace, through the gift of love and service, a gift far greater than any of the others had. She shows her family a different way to belong, and she creates a true and gracious family. And I want to talk about that today, that that's what the church should be, a gracious minority or a gracious family in a hostile world. What's the context of 1 Peter chapter 4? Peter's going to say, as the world around you gets very hostile to Christian beliefs and practices, we're not to find ourselves individually by sort of running away. We're to go deeper into our own brokenness and the community's brokenness to form a community of grace, where you don't belong because you prove yourself. You belong through Christ. And all the gifts that we have, and there's no mirror bells in the church, everyone does have a gift are not to be used to find yourself, but to serve the good of others. And Peter's trying to give a vision for the church in the first century, and I believe the Holy Spirit is doing exactly the same today. How are we to live in a culture that's increasingly hostile to the church? We're to form a gracious, provocative, countercultural community. So, what's going on? Peter, in the middle of the 60s of the first century is writing to churches scattered throughout modern-day Turkey. These Asian Christians had been converted from their pagan ways, had, had turned to Jesus in faith, and were finding out that as they lived for Jesus, many people around them didn't want them to live for Jesus. Why? Because they used to just follow all their friends and their family into the hedonistic, selfish living that everyone was into, and these Christians had been called out of that, and... They were now aliens and strangers, is Peter's great message. You're part of this culture, but you're actually an alien within the culture you live in. And that, that, that sense of being an alien, and we've talked about this, manifested in three ways. They, had, they received verbal abuse. They were being slandered. They were being ostracized, left out. And at worst, and increasingly, they were being physically tortured. How was the church supposed to respond to the hostile culture around them? We've thought about this. Were they to retreat? No. Peter says, live such good lives among the pagans. Were they to assimilate? No. Peter says, be a holy nation. Be different from those around you. Were they to retaliate and be hostile back? No. Follow the example of Christ, who was forgiving and gentle and respectful even to his enemies. So Peter, the whole way through, has been calling the church to suffering and service as resident aliens, remaining firmly rooted in the culture, known, connected, and yet radically different in approach, lifestyle, beliefs, values. But here, Peter so far in the letter has mainly been talking about how do you relate outside when, the, when, it, when it's hostile outside? How does the church relate to the, to the, to the surrounding culture? Now he says, how do you relate to one another? And how can we form a community that is a beautiful community full of God's grace? When there's pressure on the outside, there must be grace on the inside. So how do we do that? Well, Peter, in five sort of staccato commands, gives us five ways or five rhythms to ensure that at Christ City Church, we form a gracious community in a hostile world. He's going to talk, I think I've got my verses right there, about prayer, about love, about hospitality, about service, 
and about worship. Five rhythms, five spiritual practices, five commands. So we form this alternative community in our world. So, prayer. The end of all things is near, Peter says. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so you may pray. When the world feels harsh, when friends seem to alienate you, when there's a struggle day to day, and sometimes that struggle just seems kind of pointless and hard, it's easy to lose a spiritual sharpness and to drift. So Peter says, yes, times are hard. Yes, pressure is intense. But the end of all things is near. So in other words, this life will pass very quickly. Right now it seems so intense. Right now it seems so hard. Right now this seems so important to you. The end of all things is near. In the, in, in the scheme of eternity, this is just a blip. So, don't lose perspective. I know it's tough. I know the world can be hard. I know life can feel like a drag. But you're living for a different time scale. And the end of all things is near. And if Peter said the end of all things is near 2,000 years ago, it must be nearer still in our day. So be sober-minded. Don't get lost in the rat race. When the world tries to pull you in, when all this pressure and friends, opposed to the drunk person that's just going along with the crowd, be sober. And why? So you can pray. Prayer is the key, a key of remaining a gracious person and being a gracious community in a hostile world. On the topic of prayer, a man called Henry Nowen has helped me. He was a high-flying professor at Harvard and Yale, and he gave it all up to serve a handicapped community in a place called Labrie. In his move of self-denial and self-sacrifice, he learned a lot about himself and what it was to be a child of God that all those credentials the world valued counted for nothing when he was caring for handicapped families and children. And he learned to pray, and he says this, to live a life that is not dominated by the desire to be relevant, but is instead safely anchored in the knowledge of God's first love, or love first, we have to be prayers. Through contemplative prayer, so quiet, still prayer in the presence of God, we can keep ourselves from being pulled from one urgent issue to another, and listen to this phrase, and from becoming strangers of our own heart and God's heart. He goes on, contemplative prayer keeps us home, rooted and safe, even when we are on the road, moving from place to place, and often surrounded by the violence of war. The central question is, are we people with an ardent desire to dwell in God's presence, to listen to God's voice, to look at God's beauty, to touch God's incarnate word, and to taste fully God's infinite goodness? When the world around you is screaming, be this, do this, prove this, remain sober-minded. The end of all things is near. Take time to be with your Father. Let Him dictate the pace of your life, not the world's. When you're being told to perform and achieve and strive, remain sober-minded and pray. The end of all things is near. Don't get lost in the moment. When you're feeling sucked into the world's mold and it's rat race and it's a bit scary at times, remain sober-minded. The end of all things is near and pray. When we're becoming strangers, now and says to our own hearts, how do I feel? What's going on? I don't even know anymore. I'm a bit numb. There's COVID. Take some time out. Remember, the end of all things is near. Be sober-minded so you can pray. When a friend who you thought was a friend turns their back on you for whatever reason, and maybe worst of all, maybe because you're a Christian, 
and it's really hard. Remember, the end of all things is near. Be sober-minded so you can pray. Prayer is the first spiritual practice is it if we're to remain a gracious community in a hostile world. Secondly, love. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. We started to look at this last week, didn't we, when Peter says be sympathetic to one another. For any community to function, love has to be so deep that it covers over multiple sins. You see, when it's a real community, not a fake one, a fake one, you wouldn't know each other's sins because you're not that close. But when you're really close, you're going to rub each other up the wrong way and I'm going to say a harsh word there and then you're going to do a harsh thing there and then someone's going to feel left out because someone, maybe they, did, they were a bit careless and they forgot them. It's a community and it matters and so often we find that it's hard to love that community because we feel sometimes we're the ones left out or we've been treated unfairly or we saw someone on their bad day and we thought, oh, I, I'm a bit in a bit of a mood and you know, I was hoping for something from them and they didn't give me anything and they were just a bit moody. That's a real community. We see each other in the tough times as well as the good times. What does love look like then? Not dragging up people's failures or reminding yourself of people's failures so as to kind of reject them or shame them. We mustn't keep bringing up people's wrongs or reminding ourselves of other people's wrongs. No, we cover people's wrongs as Jesus covered ours. Does that mean we brush them under the carpet? Well, of course not. Jesus famously, and I've talked about this in other weeks, he, he brought up Peter's great mistake, the denial. Do you remember? He gets him on the beach again and he says, hey, Peter, do you love me? I know you denied me three times. So it's fine to bring things up and to, when, when something is particularly painful or ongoingly a challenge in a relationship. But Jesus wasn't shaming Peter. He was hoping to be restored to Peter so Peter could be free. Love covers over a multitude of sins. And then famously, Peter was taught, now, Peter, you've got to go and love people seven times? No, 70 times, seven times. Set people free the whole time. They might owe you something. They might have wronged you. They might have rubbed you up the wrong way. You might have every... Set them free. Cover over whatever it is. If it needs to be dealt with, deal with it maturely. But the ongoing frustrations and hurt of living life in a real community, the rubbing at each other up the wrong way, do not count every wrong. Do not hold up people's mistakes in your mind. Cover over the mistakes with love. How do we foster a gracious community in a hostile world? Prayer, love. Thirdly, hospitality. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. When we gathered our wider leaders together in September and we were thinking about what it meant now to re-emerge out of lockdown and out of restrictions, we were talking about how hospitality must be one of the highest spiritual practices that we must relearn and discover after all the restrictions, all the isolation, all the social distancing. There's never been more of a need to learn the practice of Christian hospitality, opening up our homes, opening up our lives and eating with one another. Hospitality is a moment of kindness. It's a, it's a drop of water in a desert. When you, you're really struggling and you've had a tough day or a tough week and you, someone invites you over and says, just, just come and eat with us. Ah, yeah, just eat. No agenda, just come and eat. Be present in the chaos or the quiet or whatever's going on. Do you know what, I'm eating anyway. Or we, just come and join us. 
and someone has thought about you to invite you over. And, and life, when it's hostile, can make you hardened, and then the invitation comes, and you're like, that'd be lovely. That really would be lovely. And it softens us. There's never been more of a need for hospitality now, without grumbling, not, not because of duty, not because you feel, no, no, I want to bless, and I'm glad that I'm able to use my home and my food and my resources to welcome others in. It's what Jesus was famous for. Do you remember why he was constantly getting into trouble with the religious people? Because he kept eating with who? Sinners, prostitutes, tax collectors. They, they shouldn't have been the ones you eat with, Jesus, because they can't pay you back and they've really messed up. And Jesus says, exactly. I operate on grace, not works. I don't operate like the, the madrigales. You have to prove your worth to get into this. I extend my welcome to anyone who's willing and realizes they're in need. He even got himself the reputation amongst the religious for being a drunkard and a glutton. He must have enjoyed his food and his drink with other people. There was famously a moment when Jesus was invited to a banquet that lacked grace. It looked like the Madrigal family. This banquet was about what you brought to the table, your position, your wealth, your prestige, your social capital, because then if you offered it, you'd get it back. And Jesus says this at the banquet. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or a dinner, do not invite your friends and brothers and sisters, your relatives or even your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you'll be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. We had to offer this to all kinds of people and anyone, particularly those that maybe can't pay us back. And why? In fact, why do any of these things? Well, it all starts with the gospel itself. That when we were enemies, <clears throat> and when we had turned our back on Jesus, he covered over our sins on the cross, and he said, come and eat with me. Come and have relationship with me. Though you deserve to be shunned, though you've rejected me many times, I invite you again to be my friend. As we experience the welcome of Christ, as he says, come and eat with me, and know me, and have relationship with me, as we experience that grace afresh ourselves, we can go and give it to others. So how do we foster in Christ City Church a gracious community that is different and countercultural to an increasingly hostile world? Prayer, love, hospitality, service. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Here we have one, one of the moments where you realise how different the world is from the church or how different they should be. In the world, you use your gifts to achieve. In the world, you use your gift to progress. In the world, you use your gift to go, this is how valuable I am. It's the madrigales. You belong as you prove your worth through your gifts. In the church, everyone has a gift. And the gift is nothing about you and proving your worth and showing how valuable you are and progressing. What does Peter say? Serving. Serve others. This is the difference between an Elsa and a Mirabel. Do we, make, do we use our gifts to make ourselves valuable and create an identity for ourselves or do we use our gifts to make a beautiful, gracious, countercultural community that the world knows nothing of 
as we lay down our desire to assert ourselves and make ourselves valuable, receive all our value from Jesus and therefore use all our gifts for the good of others. Sociologists are talking about what has kind of become the norm in our world today called expressive individualism. Be true to yourself, find yourself, express yourself, assert yourself, do what feels right for you, follow your heart. If it feels right, you go for it. In traditional cultures, the hero was the one who self-sacrificed themselves for the good of others. In modern culture, the hero is the one who self-asserts, expressing their authentic self and their dreams regardless of others. Traditional culture, you sacrifice. The hero, you sacrifice yourself for the good of others. Modern culture, look how they were true to themselves and asserted themselves. and It didn't matter what else was going on around them. They were true to themselves. That's expressive individualism. In other words, I find myself not by giving myself to something outside of me, but expressing what's inside of me. However, there's loads of problems with this that are now the cracks, the cracks are everywhere in our society, in our politics, in our civil discussions, everywhere. Expressive individualism is rampant, and our world is not a good place. Why? Well, two things everyone is saying. Firstly, on a personal level, there is just generally what's called a malaise, a dissatisfaction, a disillusionment. Chase your dreams, be true to yourself, find yourself. People have done that, and they're going, and I still feel like not very happy. And that's now just embedded in our culture as we, you know, you can achieve it and I've got to go and strive for it. Yeah, okay. I just feel exhausted and tired and unfulfilled. So on a personal level, there's a general agitation and anxiety and unhappiness in our culture. But on a community level, expressive individualism gives you no basis to form an authentic and caring community. Politics professor and author Dale Kahuna in his book, Sex and the Eye World, puts it like this. Despite its triumph, the eye world is not perfect. Two of the primary difficulties facing people in the eye world are loneliness and insecurity. These are inherent byproducts of individualism. If individual freedom is the goal and the means of achieving this freedom is replacing relationships of obligation, that's the old way of going, no, this relationship I'm, I'm obliged to love and care with and responsibility in those communities you inhabited. Now it's just a world of relational choice, he says, then a certain amount of loneliness and insecurity will result. So as we see the cracks appearing in our world because people go expressively, just be true to yourself, you prove yourself. Peter says, no, 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 let me teach you another way. You don't consume your, your covenant member. You don't find yourself, you give yourself. You don't go and create your value through your gifts. You go and create a beautiful community through your gifts. Why? Peter gives us two reasons. Did you spot them there in verse 10? The first reason, he says, well, it's in, it's in the word, isn't it? It's a gift that you've received, Peter says. So you did nothing to earn it. You weren't impressive. You were either born with it or the Holy Spirit gave it you and you were born again. And you might have nurtured it, but like, it wasn't yours. You got given a gift. And so use whatever gift you have received to serve others. But secondly, and this is marvelous, your gift is an expression of God's grace to others. So Peter goes on there to say, as faithful stewards of God's grace, 
in its various forms. Have you ever thought of your gifts as God's grace to others in its, in, in its various forms? Our gifts are an expression of God's grace and therefore we are to steward them. And Jesus talks regularly about in his parables of his return that we are to be stewards and whatever God has given us, we are to steward for his glory and for the good of others. It might be your hospitality. It might be your pastoral care. It might be your administration. It might be your cooking. It might be your welcoming. It might be your singing. It might be your ability to teach kids. It might be your ability just to serve in some practical way. And you go, oh, it's just a bit of this and I'm just doing this in church. You are administering God's grace in its various forms. I just turned up to put the chairs up today. You are administering God's grace in its various forms. I just texted that person to check in and I said I'd pray for them. and It wasn't a big deal. You are administering God's grace in its various forms. Catch a vision that's beyond self-assert. Find yourself, be true to yourself, progress through your... You can administer God's grace. The king of the universe can use you in that little gift you think you have to administer God's grace to other people. It's a much bigger vision for gifts than expressive individualism. Whether it's time you have on your hands, I'm just babysitting. You were administering God's gift, God's grace in its various forms. It was, it was my money. Well, I happened to have a well-paid job, so I gave. You were administering God's grace. Oh, I just, I, I, I'm well connected. I'm one of those socialites. I can just chat with anyone. And I decided to use that to, you're administering. You know, it's a bigger vision for gifts. It might be experience, it might be knowledge, it might be your education. Whatever it is, we all have gifts. There's no one who doesn't have a gift in the church. And you can be a steward of that gift to administer God's grace to others. COVID, we may have to relearn some of this, guys. You know, COVID, we were forced to separate, we were forced to go online, we were... And we have to relearn, well, what gifts do I have? And how do I think about using them? I mean, I've been in survival mode, or it's just been tough. Or Now relearn a vision of gifts that can be used in the church. Peter earlier had likened, the, in, chapter two, in chapter 2, the believers to the Old Testament temple, a spiritual house where God dwells. And, and he said that each of us were living stones. And as the stones were built together, God's presence came and dwelt within us. So each of us has a part. We're all a stone. And, and the temple's not complete and the church is not for, complete without you and your gift being used. In other words, there's no mirabelle in the church. Everyone gets a gift, Peter says. Be a steward of that gift and catch a vision that that gift is where you administer God's grace in its various forms. The church needs you we're deficient without you. So we've talked about prayer. We've talked about love. We've talked about hospitality. And we talked about service. Why? For this great aim that Peter says, I'm teaching you how to relate outside, and now I want to teach you how to relate inside so you're a gracious community. And what's the fifth thing he says? In fact, what's the fuel of everything without which all this will just be hard work? Worship. If anyone speaks, they should, do, they should do so as one who speaks the very word of God. If anyone serves, they should do it with the strength God provides. Why? So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever 
and ever. Whatever gift you have, whether speaking or teaching, which is probably more the elder gift, or serving, which is probably more the deacon gift, whether you're sort of an upfront or behind the scenes, whether you're known or not known in how you use your gift, whatever gift you have, do it in the strength that God provides. You see, if you come away from this talk going, okay, Steve told me to, I've got to pray a bit more, I've got to love a bit more, I've got to open up my home a bit more, yeah, okay, I've got a gift, I've got to start using that a bit more. You'll burn out. Or you'll be puffed up with pride. Or you'll be just people-pleasing. Peter says, do it in the strength that God gives. The church is a spiritual house. The Spirit of God is amongst us. We're not just a human organization, well organized. We have power amongst us. The power of the Holy Spirit. You know, I was so tired this week. We were serving in different places. It was a wonderful week, but I just... So tired, and I was just at the coffee shop there chatting to the guy in what Green 19 it used to be called and chatting about COVID. I was just going through this, and I thought, that's for me. Steve, are you going to serve today? Just go through the motions? Or are you going to serve with the strength that God provides? It was just like God touched me about two hours ago and says, What's it going to be? You can do either. I was going to preach the sermon or whatever. I talked to Stephen Tully about him doing it, but he wasn't keen. Do you see? How about you? Are you just going to grit your teeth? Or are you going to catch a vision for the church as this beautiful, grace-filled community that's completely different from the world around us? As there's cracks everywhere. We're forming something beautiful through prayer, through love, through hospitality, through service. But why? For the glory of God and in the strength that he provides. Pride is a great motivator. Guilt is a great motivator. Fear is a great motivator. God wants to say the glory of God should be our motivator. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. What is the goal of the church? What is the goal of all our prayer? What's the goal of all our love? What's the goal of all our hospitality? What's the goal of everything we do to serve? So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. And if it's not, we will not survive. We will never become this community. We'll just be like the Pharisees who did the right things and didn't want to hang out with sinners. And we'll miss Jesus. He won't be in our midst. But if he strengthens us and it's for his glory... Something beautiful could be formed. That is being formed, I I trust. So catch a vision for your role in the church. You're a steward to form this alternative community on earth. And if we do, the whole point of Peter's letter is to say, many people are going to start asking questions. How is your community so united across gender, race, socioeconomic division? Can I tell you about the hope that I have? Peter says, always be prepared to give an answer for what the hope. The end of all things is near. I have a hope. This life is passing. I'm living for another life. So I can give in to this community now. Those that despise Christianity because of what we believe may be attracted to our life and our community because they find it beautiful. And in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. And everyone says... Amen. Do you want to stand? I'm going to invite Leanne back as we finish. And just take a moment 
to consider what it is for you uh, that the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you about as we reflected on these few verses together. If you're comfortable, you can just close your eyes as a way of just asking God just to give you that moment of crystallization of what he wants you to take away and apply from this. about us sing this beautiful song this is not not I but Christ through me so father as we as we reflect on these words and we think of your church your beautiful church this alternative community on earth this spiritual house where you dwell we long that Jesus would receive glory in everything we do and we long that he would empower us and enable us to be those that pray and remain sober-minded in a world that is increasingly hostile and challenging and seems to be running away or going a bit bananas. We pray, Lord, that you'd enable us to be those that love one another and cover over all those little new frustrations and hurts and teach us that deep love that you loved us with. We pray, Father, that you'd teach us that welcome that you gave us in Jesus to welcome people into our homes and our lives and to eat food and with no agenda, just to be present and to enjoy one another's company. We pray, Lord, when the world says assert yourself and use your gifts to find yourself, that we would give ourselves and use our gifts to form a beautiful community here for your glory. And we do pray that in all things you might receive glory through Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen.